from sunny Minnesota, this is the Polaris Podcast, brought to you by the Polaris Help Center. I am Joe Zemer, and I am not an expert. I've spent my entire life in the Midwest, so what do I know about the mountains? So to learn the basics of snowmobile mountain riding, I sought out some experts. Today, in part one of our mountain riding guide, we're going to chat with two experts. They're not just experts, they're professionals. Back in March at the Polaris Spring Sales Meeting in Dallas, I talked with Team Polaris athletes Gabrielle Hockley and Dan Adams. They have a wealth of experience and knowledge, so if you're new to mountain riding, you'll enjoy this conversation. All right, well, if you're a seasoned snowmobiler, you'll probably know these voices well. If not, you might be hearing them for the first time. So let's have both of our two guests introduce themselves and just give some background. Ladies first. Uh, I'm Gabrielle Hockley, and I am from Cranbrook, British Columbia. I've been riding since I was about three, and I'm new to the players team this year. Nice. Uh, my name is Dan Adams. I'm the owner of Next Level Riding Clinics. We're based out of Alpine, Wyoming. I've been riding a big part of my life, uh, teaching riding clinics for the last 12 years. What was your entry point just to first to snowmobiling and then to riding in the mountains? How did you get started? I started as a little girl riding with my family and just going out every other weekend. And I really got into it. Uh, once I was out of high school, I just kind of made the switch and was like, I want to do this every day I can. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I uh, I can remember as a little kid, you know, riding, riding a snowmobile to the school bus stop. Um, and then I got out of it for a while when I was about 13. Um, it was kind of in that spot where there wasn't really a sled available. Um, and so got into snowboarding, got into other interests. And as I went through high school, uh, snowboarding was my profession. That's what I was doing. And then as I got out of school, I uh, got more into some coaching, coaching, snowboarding, things like that. And then I ended up buying a snowmobile. I was still very much a snowboarder and I bought a sled as a, as a chairlift. I bought it as a way to, you know, go access the backcountry and still ride my snowboard. And over time, just started looking at terrain and realizing what I was capable of being able to do on a snowmobile. And sooner or later, the snowboard got left back and became a snowmobiler. What are your favorite locations to ride in? Do you have any go-to destinations that you prefer? I'm going to jump in front of her. That That's top secret. Okay. <laughs> um i've been to quite a few different ones this year and i mean one of my favorite places to to travel to is revelstoke just because it's got the big alpine riding which i don't have at home yeah i've been uh man over the years i've been to a lot of places been to russia i've been to alaska been to canada a bunch been through utah colorado northern idaho i've been out in oregon i've been all over the place and to be honest with you where I live is by far some of the best terrain that I've, I've ever been in. And obviously I know it, that makes it a, a great riding area. But, um, yeah, my, the whole Wyoming range, it's just got, it's got, uh, it's got riding for everybody. It's got the steep technical terrain that I like being in, but it's, it's got a ton of, uh, you know, ton of other, other terrain for, for other interests. Let's talk about mountain riding then. And what are the things that we should do before we even think about getting on the snowmobile dressing? How do you choose the right apparel for that sort of climate? 
Um, so when I'm getting dressed for sledding, I'm generally taking a look at what the forecast is actually going to be that day, but I'm also setting up with different layers. I don't want to be wearing really something that's insulated because then I can't take that layer off. So I normally start with the base layer and if it's a really cold day, I'll double up on the mid layers and then I'll shed them off as the day gets warmer. And at least on the way out, then I can put that layer back on. If you're, you know, going fast on the trail like that, it gets cooler. So, yeah, exactly. As Gabby said, I mean, it's all about layering. We don't wear insulated gear as mountain riders. A lot of times you're going to have an inversion. So as you climb from low elevation to upper elevations, you know, you get, you get basically closer to the sun, you get out in the open. And once you start working hard on a snowmobile, the last thing you'd want to be is too hot. And so having the ability to take those layers off and stow those in a spot where they're not going to get wet, because as you said, when you do slow down or if you had to stay overnight or even just on the way home it's super nice to be able to have those layers warm and dry and you can put them back on what is your process like for packing gear packing accessories anything that you're going to bring along with you on the ride is that something that varies from person to person do you have any specific things that you have found that work really well to bring along on a trip um i always think it's really important to have safety items that you're gonna that are gonna protect you if say something bad happens and you're going to have to spend the night or say first aid kit, those kind of things are really important to carry with you. And then, yeah, those extra layers I think are really important too, because that's something you're going to really wish you had if you're stuck out there late. Yeah. And I have uh, some definite specifics on what, what I'm carrying with me in a backpack versus what I'll let the sled haul around for me. So you know, your necessary avalanche equipment, things you're going to put in your avalanche bag, your probe and your shovel, uh, a small first aid kit. You know, if you're putting some some dry layers in there, I would just be thinking about, you know, the weight that you're carrying on you versus some of this other stuff. I have a, a bit more of a, you know, a, a well put together first aid kit or even survival kit that I'll put on a, you know, in a tunnel bag, um, you know, extra gloves, goggles, things like that. And then obviously your tools, all your food and water, let the sled haul all of that. I see people that do that completely opposite and they're, they're carrying a bunch of water weight with them on their back. You know, that leads to fatigue throughout the day. And it's like, man, just let the sled carry that stuff. Keep your, your necessary, you know, save someone's life in the immediate on your person at all time. Let the snowmobile haul the rest of it. Now, if someone is heading out to the mountains for the first time, maybe they're like me in Minnesota used to trails and that sort of thing. What uh, people are going to be thinking of safety first. What are the really important safety tips that you guys like to hammer into people before they head out into the mountains? I think it's the most important thing really to be bringing is your beacon because that is how you are going to be saved and that is also how you're going to save someone else. So I think the really top important ones are your beacon, your shovel, and your probe. Yeah, and I think first and foremost, you know, any rider that comes from anywhere, it doesn't matter where they're at, you know, you look at percentages of fatalities and... You know, just this last year as an example, you know, 25% of the avalanche deaths from last year, which recorded, we were about 19, somewhere in there. And it's like 25% of that was from riders from the Midwest. The other 75 was riders right from my area. And so I think the message is clear that there's a lot of people that are coming from, you know, the Midwest or back East, um, or even on the West Coast that I think they're scared to death of what's happening out there. So they're willing to, you know, get the training, get the gear, that sort of thing. But Understanding and checking the forecast, that's going to be your number one. You know, if you can familiarize yourself with the forecast and understand that it doesn't mean that we don't get to go riding on those bad days, it's just a choice of where we get to go riding. And so 
the message is clear. We always continue to talk about safety in terms of the beacon probe shovel and that combination, but, you know, understanding how to use that equipment, checking the forecast, and then just, you know, good communication within your riding group. How much research should you be doing ahead of time on the area you're going to? And what sort of stuff should you be asked? What questions should you be asking about that area? Um, so when you're looking at the forecast, you're really looking for the area that you're riding in and you're looking for the type of avalanche conditions that it is that day. And you just want to make sure that you're riding in the safest zones you can based on that forecast. There's going to be some days where you can go into some areas that are maybe more risky because of the avalanche conditions at that time are much safer than other times. Yeah. And the, you know, I talk about technology and, and how it's, you know, the way it's advanced and, and how it's helping us so much. I mean, the, the avalanche forecast app that anybody can have on their phone, there's really no excuse why somebody couldn't, you know, pop that onto their phone and then have that as your go-to, you know, you're having breakfast in the morning, you got the trailer, you got the sleds, you're all ready to go. We can just touch on that app and it's going to immediately highlight, you know, the avalanche advisory in that given area. It's just using your location and giving you that advisory for the day. So that's a real quick way for anybody as they're traveling out west or wherever they're going to utilize that app. And that will immediately start the conversation of, all right, guys, it's a, it's a high avalanche day. You know, we were talking about that big bowl that we were going to go access. You know what? Let's go still have a blast today, but let's stay away from that. And let's go play down in the trees or do something different. Like I said, it doesn't mean that we're not riding. It's just a choice of where. Why is it so important to be up on your avalanche safety, even if you say, I'm not going to go climbing today, even if I'm going to stay in what I think are the safer areas, why is it still important to make sure you have that avalanche preparation? Yeah, it's important to keep yourself safe out of those dangerous zones. And then you're also keeping the people you're with out of those areas. Like you can be riding in a group and someone can be really educated and you can be with other people that maybe aren't, but if they're not feeling comfortable either, then you shouldn't be going you shouldn't be making other people go to those places. So you kind of should be agreeing on where you're going with your group and how everyone feels. Yeah, that's a great point, Gabby. And, you know, we talk about this all the time during my riding clinics that, you know, people that are willing to accept levels of risk that everyone is comfortable with, that makes up a great riding group. So people that, you know, you go out and it is a, a considerable avalanche advisory day, you'd want to make sure that you're going out with a group that's comfortable with that level of risk. So it means where you're going to travel, you know, how how up-to-date people are with their equipment, if they've practiced with it. All of those things are just communications that if we can if we can start to have those conversations early enough and we talk about avalanche safety all the dang time and it seems like there are a lot more people that are not willing to be that person that's like the voice of safety. It's like they're being everybody's mom out there. Well, here's the here's the harsh reality of all of it. We should be up on our avalanche safety, but you have to remember this. It doesn't matter how much I know. It doesn't matter about how much any one individual person knows when you're the one that's four feet under the snow. Let's talk about those riding clinics. How did your clinic start and what sort of things do you teach at your clinics? Next Level Riding Clinic started in 2008. It started as uh, an idea. Um, it was more based on the things that I was already doing. I, I had coaching as a passion. I had coaching as a background from being a snowboard coach for many years. Um, I really, I really got a lot out of seeing people that were shaking their head no, that they couldn't do it and they didn't have that self-belief and being able to, with just a few techniques, get that person to completely turn around and say that they could. And to start seeing people doing these things they didn't think originally that they had the, the power to do 
Um, I actually think of myself way more of like, so almost like life coaching more than it is just teaching people about snowmobiling. I've had multiple return clients to next level that have come back and they've, they've changed their life. They've changed their habits. They've lost 50 pounds. They've, it's, it's completely changed everything about them. It wasn't just about snowmobiling and that's the hook. That's what keeps me passionate about doing it. It keeps me passionate as a snowmobiler, uh, dissecting the sport and dissect, dissecting us as humans and understanding like all the different levels of ways that we teach people how they receive what it is that I'm trying to teach them. It's been, uh, it's been quite the ride in 12 years. It's been amazing. What sort of skill level can benefit from a clinic like that? Do you have to be an experienced snowmobiler? Can you be a newbie who's just trying it out for maybe the first winter? Yeah, certainly. We, we get plenty of people that the first time that they're seeing snow is at next level. And to be honest with you, having somebody that has no experience, they've never been on a snowmobile, they're nearly easier to teach than someone that has 10, 15 years on a snowmobile that have been doing it one way. And that one way isn't incorrect. That way is correct for the type of riding that they're doing. But man, we see people that have formed some pretty bad habits and those are a little bit harder to break than somebody that's brand new. Yeah, but you've been involved in some of these clinics too. What has your involvement been like? Uh, it's been really cool. I... So I was there for two of the ladies' clinics that Dan put on, and it's really exciting to see the progression from just the day one to ta- to day two. So the day one, they're really just they're really just going through the steps and getting told what to do, and then kind of on day two, they're really starting to see it click. So I thought it's really cool to see how people can improve so quickly, and like Dan said about with having a new rider compared to say someone that's been doing it for quite a while. It's so true about not having any bad habits. So in my opinion, if you're going to get into sledding, I would start out doing a clinic because now you're starting with good habits. What are some of those good habits that you like to teach a new rider early on when they're first starting out? Um, so definitely like being a girl, it's really important to use the throttle and brake to really get you started to get your sled tipped up on side. And the reason I say for a girl, I mean, this is the same for guys too, but for a girl, we don't have that upper body strength, like some of the guys that are riding do. So you really want to use the throttle and the brake to your advantage so that you can get your sled tipped up on the side without wasting your energy. What advice would you have for female riders who maybe have thought, is this for me? Or how can you get more female riders involved in this sport? So for, uh, for female riders, what I tell most of my girlfriends that are, you know, starting to get into it, lots of times they're getting into it because say their husband's doing it or their boyfriend's doing it. Um, I tell them it's good to get out and actually ride with another lady that has been doing it for a while because the explanation lots of times that you're getting from your spouse or your significant other is lots of times, you know, just pin it or (laughs) pull really hard, but you really just, you need that explanation of those small techniques that makes it easier for you to do like the gas and throttle and your body positioning and where your foot is on the running board. Let's get some plugs in here. Make sure everyone knows where to find you guys and what what you're up to and your content. Where can people find out more about what you guys are up to? Um, I mostly use Instagram and Facebook and my Instagram tag is Gabrielle Hockley. Yeah. And, uh, for, for me, it's at sled deck Dan on Instagram, just Dan Adams on Facebook. And then 
Next Level Riding Clinics, same deal with Facebook and Instagram. And then we also have the Next Level Riding Clinics YouTube channel, which, you know, that outlet for us has been pretty successful. We started the YouTube channel this last December, had like 140 subscribers and we're up over and continue to climb with that. We're up over 22,000 subscribers and uh, it's pretty neat to see. We hit like a million watched views this last season and we're already up to about 750, almost 800,000 watched views just this year. So we're likely to double, if not triple. Just shows me that there's a lot of people that are out there that are so wanting to learn this sport and learn from, I've been doing it a long time. I got a lot of experience of doing it the wrong way. And that's kind of how we created the curriculum that we have is just learning to do things easier. You know, it's not just about learning to try to ride like, like the pros or ride like me. That wasn't what it was about at all. It was literally trying to just come up with an easier way of learning how to mountain ride. One thing that might be difficult for someone who's new to the sport is just figuring out what do you want to ride? So if someone's going to pick out their first snowmobile or a new snowmobile, what are the questions we should be asking ourselves before we go into the dealership? Um, definitely ask yourself, what kind of riding do I want to do? Are you going to be mostly doing trail riding? Or are you going to be doing mostly mountain riding? Or maybe you're doing a bit of both. Uh, that's going to help you pick your sled, but you also need to think about the, your height and your weight. So you can figure out what is the right handlebar height for me. And also for your setup with your shocks, that's going to be dependent too on your weight and the riding style that you're doing. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, dealers, they really, they really need to get involved with their customers. Like that's, that's really the key to it. And I've seen some dealers that are so passionate about making sure that that, that person that comes in the door that, I mean, they're truly a sponge, man. They're there to like soak up every bit of information that they can. And if a dealer is doing their, their due diligence with all of it, it's like, it is, it's just like Gabby said, finding out, you know, what's their primary use for owning a sled? Is it to trail ride? Is it to be with their kids? Is it to go get extreme? Is it to jump? Is it to hill climb? Is it to do any of those things? Because honestly, there's a snowmobile and a snowmobile setup that is specific to that. And I'll leave you with this in terms of the, the coaching side. When you suck at golf, you don't go play more golf. You get a lesson and then you learn from what that pro taught you, right? That's what you keep doing. So it's no different from this. It's like when you don't know what you don't know, it's best to like go into that. I mean, these are expensive snowmobiles. They're 15,000 some odd dollars, right? That's out of the box. And then as you see from most of us, we're building on top of that. It's a really, really expensive sport to be in. But guess what? It is a, it's an equipment-based sport. Like what we build makes it easier to ride. You know, I can't do the same things on the snowmobile that I have today on the sled that I had 10 years ago. So because we have advanced so much with all of this, it is important because it's, it's a big financial move to buy a sled. It is important to ask yourself, you know, have those questions. What am I going to do on a sled? Why is it important to me? You know, does a, a gal that is wanting to go out and ride with her kids need a 174 three-inch 850 with a turbo on it? And the answer is we kind of get that, right? So having those, having a dealer that's willing to, to work with a customer that way is going to be truly important. That's how I'd pick the dealer. What is your favorite model to ride based on the riding you do, and, and why do you like that model? Um, currently, I'm riding the Chaos 155 2.6 track. And the reason I love that sled is because it is so easy for me to get it onto the side and hold side hills. It's so smooth, and I feel like it's a really good sled for people that are getting into sledding as well because they're going to progress on it so much faster 
because of how easy it is to tip. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with Gabby with that statement about you know the chaos being such a it's such a diverse sled. I mean, I think that the the marketing originally it's you know was made to look at it you know like this this sled that was wheeling. It was you know it was it was totally capable of a lot of different things, but the thing that we were missing that just became such a success, at least through next level was just seeing the, you know, the, the new people to snowmobiling jumping on a chaos for the first time and just how easy it was for them to maneuver. And I thought that made that sled probably the most well-rounded snowmobile that you could have. So for me personally, I'm still a 163 guy. I'm still a pro RMK. I like a sled a little bit more planted. Doesn't mean that, uh, there are not days where the chaos is a super fun snowmobile, but if I had if you're going to pick one for me, the, the, you know, a two, six belt drive, one sixty three pro arm K that's still going to be my sled of choice react front end, um, lots of different setups from there, but that would be the sled I'd start with. Well, Dan, Gabby, thank you so much for the time. I know this is a busy couple of days for you guys, but we really appreciate you making some time for us. It's awesome to be here. Thanks yeah, it was our much. pleasure. Thank you. A huge thanks to Dan and Gabby and a huge thanks to all of you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please consider leaving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Make sure to follow Dan and Gabby on their social media channels. Those links can be found in the description of this episode. And make sure to check back for part two of our mountain riding guide featuring the one and only Chris Barant. Hi, you've reached Joe. Sorry I missed your call. Please leave me your name your number, and a short message, and I'll get right back to you. Thanks, and have a great day. Straight to voicemail. Okay, Joe, you need to tell them that the Polaris Help Center is their first stop for vehicle information, maintenance tips, and how-to videos. All they have to do is look for the Help button in the upper right-hand corner of any Polaris brand website. They also need to remember that all riders should always wear helmets, eye protection, and protective clothing and footwear. Read, understand, and follow their owner's manual. Never ride under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And always ride within the limits of your own abilities and never engage in stunt or exhibition driving. Next time, answer your phone. Okay, bye.